Hey, this is Shannon Wooten, pastor of New Spring Church, and this is our podcast. I hope it encourages you, and I hope it gives you hope that a new life in Jesus is possible for you. We appreciate you, and thank you for listening. That God is still doing great things. Amen? So let's look this morning. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll go back there to our key text. And how many of you know that your words are important? How many believe that, right? We, we hit on that a little bit last week. Uh, our words, how you say things. How many know that how you say it is important, right? So it can, I mean, if you think about the power of your words, how we say things and what we say, it can either speak life or death or uh, peace. Peace agreements have been made because of words. Think about it. Wars have been started because of words. What we say can and does have the power to determine what we can experience and what others can experience. Here was a classified, talking about words and how you arrange words, this was a classified ad in a small town. This was Monday, and it said, For sale, R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Phone 555-0707 after 7 p.m., and ask for Miss Kelly, who lives with him cheap. Tuesday, the notice said, we regret having aired in R.D. Jones' ad yesterday. It should have read, one sewing machine for sale, cheap, 555-0707, and ask for Miss Kelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m., Wednesday, notice R.D. Jones has informed us that he has received several annoying telephone calls because of the error we made in his classified ad yesterday. His ad stands corrected as follows. For sale, R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale, cheap, phone 555-0707, and ask for Miss Kelly who loves with him. Thursday, notice, I, R.D. Jones, have no sewing machine for sale. I smashed it. Don't call 555-0707. As the telephone has been disconnected, I have not been carrying on with Miss Kelly until yesterday. She was my housekeeper, but she quit. (laughs) How many know our words matter? And what we say and how we say it matters. Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says this to Israel. He's saying it to us. He says, now what I am commanding you, in verse 11, today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask for it. In other words, God said, I've already given it to you. I'm going to skip, look at verse 14. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you, verse 15, today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Now I want you to jump down to verse 19. Look what it says. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and cursings. 
now are curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Will you say that with me? Say choose life. Can say let's say it together. Choose life. God is asking us to choose life, and how do we do that? So last week we talked about different aspects of our life with our attitude, our words, our what we believe is so important because your beliefs will determine how you respond. Sometimes we say we really believe things. We say, well, this is what I believe, but our actions really prove if we believe that or not. If we believe that the Word of God is bread for us, it nourishes us, and we believe that it is a life source for us, if we believe that, wouldn't we read His Word on a daily, weekly, a real frequent basis and not ignore that and push His Word off and think that it's boring? Would we not be attracted to His Word if we truly believe that God's Word is life to us? How many believe that this morning? Shout amen. So you can say we believe something, but what we do really, really matters on how we're going to live out and make these choices and decisions. And that's what God is saying to us. We have the, all of these options God is saying. And you can choose to speak a certain way. You can choose your words. You can choose your attitude. And we have all of these choices. And God has given us the option to choose life and to choose blessing. Choosing life, I said last week, starts on the inside of us. It's not something that someone does to us or it's not dictated by the circumstances around us. Choosing life starts on the inside of us. It's our decision, God says. I want you to write this down. God's plan for your life does not happen by chance. It happens by choice. God's plan for your life is not a gamble. It's not roll the dice. It's whatever happens. No. God's life and his blessing for you is a matter of choice and not by chance. Death, notice this, that death is at work in the world today. Death is at work, but so is life. Life is at work. Death is in, in beliefs, and life is in our beliefs. Death is in our thoughts that we can think. When I say death, I'm talking about things that, that, will, that you will miss, opportunities that will not come to you, relationships that will die. And there, are de- there is death in our thoughts, death in our beliefs, but there's also life in what we believe. And there's life in how we think. You're not going to be the person that God wants you to be, strong, victorious, believing, faith-filled, if you're having thoughts of doubt and fear and intimidation about, about you and your life. So it matters what we believe. It matters how we think. It matters what we choose and what we will experience. Death in our words. Or there's life in our words. How we say it. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, that words that you speak over your life will produce some kind of fruit. And if you know that, if you buy into the principle that God is telling you that you can speak, have the power to speak certain things, you can create the environment for certain things to grow. The same thing, if you speak death over your marriage, over your, over your life, over your career, and over yourself and what God wants to do, if you keep talking about your, how much you're a failure and how much you can't do this, you don't have the strength, then that's what you're going to experience in life. But if you talk about that's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Could he really do all things? There were some, yes, physical limitations that Paul had, but he chose to believe and speak, I can do all things 
when Christ helps me, when I put my life and my hands in Christ's life, then he will help me to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished. Do you believe that today? So how do we choose life? Your words are carriers. Your words carry. They have weight. It can change an environment. It can change a room. It can change a conversation. When you slip in, think about this. Uh, when, when you go to the bank teller and you slip in your deposit or you want uh, to request money, you have a little canister that you pull up to the bank teller and you put inside the little canister and it sucks all the way to the bank teller and she pulls out on the other side. Your words are like that. It, it is a request. It is a belief. It is faith. And what you're requesting, what you're saying is going to come all the way back to you, right? How many of you walked off with a bank canister? I've, I've had to do that a couple. I had to go back in line. Hey, I'm sorry. I can't do anything with this, right? I mean, it's like the weirdest thing. What can you do with it? I can't keep it. So your words have the ability to carry something. Words have the power to destroy or it has the power to build up. Your words really have the power to heal. What you say can release someone to experience healing or it has the ability to break hearts and to break spirits. How many, how many teachers and how many parents, how many relationships have been broke down because we chose harsh words that broke a spirit down, broke attitudes down, and broke hearts down, and now they carried this wound that they have to overcome because words matter over us. Your words have power. Choosing life is choosing words to create life and avoiding words that kill, that tear down, and that destroy. When you go into a conversation with someone, think about what you're saying. Are the words that I'm speaking, is it tearing that person down? Is it tearing this relationship apart? Or is my words choosing to build up? Is it speaking to build up, to encourage Choosing life. So I'm going to give you four things of what choosing life means. Choosing life means rather than complain, talk about what you're thankful for. So here we're approaching Thanksgiving. And guys, there's a boatload of things that we can say that we're, we're going to gripe and grumble about. Things that we're unthankful for. Things that we don't appreciate. That's going on around us. There's a lot to complain about. How I many know? Come on, let's be really honest and transparent this morning. And this is the only time I want you to be transparent. Now, the rest of it, I want you to start kicking your faith in. But how many know that there's a lot to complain about right now that's going on in our lives? All right, there's about four or five honest people. The rest of you, you need to come down and get saved. Give your heart to Jesus. Stop lying. Come on, you know, you know there's a lot of things that we can complain about. There's a lot of things that we can be ungrateful for. But choosing life means that I'm going to focus on what am I thankful for? 1 Thessalonians, let's, let's put some scripture behind this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think, I think we would feel better if we read this out loud. Come on, let's speak life into this room. Let's read this verse together. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. That's, that sounds nice, Pastor Shannon, but that is difficult to do. But notice this. Are you saying that I'm supposed to give thanks for coronavirus? 
my Thanksgiving this year is going to look a lot different because, not because I'm having to follow guidelines, right, but because I'm forced to. We've had a few family members who have been hit with this coronavirus. So I'm forced to. You can, I'm glad that you get to have, you know, 10, 15, 20 people in your room. I don't get that option this year. I don't get that option because we've been, we have people who have been hit with this coronavirus. I can sit around and talk about and complain about how my Thanksgiving is not going to look like my normal, traditional Thanksgiving. I'm really bummed out about it. One of my daughters, she's not, she was excited about picking up Bill's Donuts. Right? She had me at Bill's Donuts. She was going to come, up, come uh, early in the morning and help mom cook Thanksgiving dinner. I was excited about having her in the room. I was more excited about Bill's Donuts, but I'm just joking. No, I'm, I was excited about b- spending time with my family who have not been able to spend time with. But I can sit around and complain about what we're not going to be able to do or I can choose life because what's going to happen if I sit around and complain, I'm going to feel worse. I'm going to find other things to complain about. That's going to be highlighted even more of what, what else is going wrong in my life. Trust me, i got a list. Or I can choose life and say, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to find some ways that I can be thankful and all of a sudden creativity begins to to jump in my heart and my mind and my spirit, and now I'm finding ways that I can spread thankfulness and gratefulness and the hope to other people this holiday season. Someone shout, come on, choose life. Come on, give God a praise, yes. So rather than complain, talk about what you're thankful for. Why? Because it's God's will. It's what he said in the scripture, this is my will for you, is don't be thankful for coronavirus, be thankful in those circumstances, not for. It's a big difference. You don't have to be thankful for what's coming against you, but you can be thankful in what's coming against you. Can you give God a praise this morning? Amen? Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. I thought this was really interesting that God's standard for me to be pure is not by the clothes that I wear. It's not by the legalism on the outside, but by God. God's definition and standard of purity is what's happening in my heart. If you want to be blameless, if you want to be a saint, if you want to be a Christian who's on fire for God, then put away your grumbling and arguing so that you can become blameless and pure. I didn't say that. That's not my definition. That's not my standard. That's God's standard. Be blameless and pure children of God without fault and in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly the word of life. Isn't that great? That when I choose not to argue or complain or gripe and grumble, I'm choosing to allow the glory of God to shine through me so that other people can be attracted to Jesus Christ. There's a man who was, who was packing, uh, he was brought his lunch, and uh, he opened his lunchbox, pulled out his sandwich, and he says, oh, my goodness, tuna fish sandwich again. So he ate his tuna fish, and the, his friend was noticing how he was grumbling about his tuna fish sandwich. The next day, opens his lunch, pulls out his sandwich, unwraps it. He says, oh, my gosh, man. Tuna fish sandwich again? 
did it the third day, pulls out his lunch, pulled out the sandwich and said, oh, I am so sick of this tuna fish sandwich again. Finally, his friend says, good Lord, man, I'm tired of hearing you grumble. Just tell your wife you want something else besides tuna fish sandwich. He said, what do you mean tell my wife? He says, I make my own lunch. We, and we do that. We gripe and grumble and complain and we're ungrateful for stuff when really we have the power to choose and to change what we are experiencing. That's what God said in Deuteronomy 30. The power to choose life is within you. Don't expect someone to swim across the ocean, he said, and bring it back to you. You have the power. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. Unwholesome. All right, so look at this. You have the power to choose. Complaining takes the life and energy out of your day, doesn't it? Sometimes I don't even want to be around myself when I'm griping and grumbling and complaining. Why? Because it takes the energy. Complaining robs you of your creativity. Number two, choosing life means using your words to build others up. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Helpful for building, let, don't let unwholesome, so I thought about what is unwholesome. One translation says corrupt, but, but what about we just say unhealthy words, words that discourage, words that tear down, Choose the opposite. Choose words that will encourage, words that will bring health to your environment, to you as a person, and to your family, to your relationships. Choose words that are going to encourage and bring health. It was Job said, that said to his wife, who Job was going through the most horrible time of his life, boils on his body, lost his children, lost all of his, his whole farm was lost. And Job's wife said, just curse God and die. Just go ahead and go call God out. Call God out that he's let this happen to you. And notice what Job's response was to his wife. He says, listen, wife, I love you. That's not what he said I'm adding here. He said, I, listen, I love you, but I am not going to sin with my lips. Now, that's exactly what he said. I'm not going to sin with my lips. Job understood that he could gripe and grumble and blame God but he knew if he did, he would be sinning with his mouth, with his words. Many times, this scripture verse and this principle has refrained me from allowing stupidity to come out of my mouth. Stupidity or sin, the same thing, right? And we need to be able to say, God, let me use my words to build the situation up, build others up, build myself up. Power in your ability to speak encouragement and build others up. So, um, you know, someone, someone called me uh, a long time ago, a really, really, really long time ago, and they said, hey, Pastor, I want to I tell you something about someone. And I stopped them. I said, well, before you do, are you willing, can I quote you on this? And they said, well, no, I don't know if I'm, I, you, no, I'd rather you not quote me on it. And I said, I probably don't want to hear what you have to say. If you're not willing to put your name on what you say and own what you say, then you probably don't need to be saying it. Are you with me? This is where we have wrecked relationships. Gossip and tearing people down have wrecked relationships because we don't want to own what we're saying. And if it's going to tear someone down, 
then keep our mouths shut. If it needs to be corrected, then own it. Be the brother in Christ that you need to be. Be the sister in Christ that you need to be and go to that person, not someone else. We have got to be able to choose our words that are not tearing people down but building them up. I never want to be a part of a family or an organization or a group or a church that doesn't build one another up. Here's what I love about attending Wednesday night Bible studies with our men. These men, we, sometimes we come in there and we spill our guts. But there's not been one time that I've ever felt like that we've been judgmental to anyone. In fact, if anything, all of these men, everyone, I've, I've been observing, trust me, I've been taking notes. Every one of them has shown the love of Christ, has brought correction and direction, and has never allowed anyone to leave a room feeling like they are less than. We build each other up. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of, a church that encourages, a church that, come on, promotes, a church that lifts hands, a church that finds the good, a church that helps correct and encourage and to move forward. That's the kind of church, that's the kind of family I want to be part of. That's the kind of group I want to be a part of. That's the kind of organization I want to be a part of. I want to build others up. No relationship will survive a critical environment. If all you do is pick on your friend and what they're doing wrong and how you dislike this about them, you're not going to have a friend for very long. If that's all we do to our spouse and our children is pick on what we don't like and never encourage them on what we do like, if you can't find the imago Dei that you are made in the image of God and you have God qualities that God has placed in you and you can't talk about that, Listen, then we will never find the value in what God has been creating inside of people. I want to be a part of a family, a church, an organization that finds that Jesus Christ, come on, has left an imprint on us and that God is working on the inside of us. Can somebody shout amen this morning? I know that's what you want. Then let's be that. Let's continue to be that, a person who builds others up. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 9, I love this. Here's what it says, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 9. Because we talk about prayer and fasting, that prayer changes things and prayer has this power, and it does. But God, and what would happen was people would live in the, in the, in the Old Testament any way they wanted to, and then they, they knew they were doing wrong, and then they would try to make up for it by doing these sacrifices. But God said, you know, I'm sick and tired of this, guys. He said, I'm tired of you doing everything you want to do and you not changing and being transformed. He said, you know what, you know what let, me tell you? let me tell you how to be transformed. Let me tell you how true revival will come. Here's what he said, Isaiah 58. He says, then you will call on the Lord and it will answer you. He said, this is the fast that I'm telling you to choose. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing of the finger, the criticism, the criticalness, and always pointing out the flaws, put away with that and put away your malicious talk. If you put that away, and then he goes on and says, if you want revival, this is the kind of fast. Take your bread, the bread that you have, and give it to the poor. Take your clothes and clothe those who do not have clothing. God is saying, I'm tired of you talking about it and start doing something with him. And if you'll do that, if you'll change your talk, change your criticism, stop pointing your finger and put away that and start building others up and meeting people's needs, you, I will open the heavens over you and I will answer all of your prayers. How many love a God, come on, who motivates us and doesn't just pacify us but points us in the direction where we can get some real help? Can you shout amen? So Jesus said, 
I'll give you life and life to the full. You want to know how to have life? Is get around Jesus. You want to know how to be a person of life and speak encouragement? Spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is giving you life, that means life is coming out of you. And you and I are people who spread life and not death. Choosing life means talking more about what we are for rather than what you are against. The loudest people in the room are the ones who are speaking against something. The loudest people in our nation are the ones who are speaking against something. The loudest people in the world are the ones that are shouting the loudest of what they're against. And it's not resolving the world. It's not bringing peace, nor is it moving us forward. A family, we can, we can be a family. I don't know about you, but I, I, don't like, I don't like broccoli. And I don't like asparagus. Do I have any witness? Paul, I think, agrees with me. I mean, I, I just don't like it. And um, so every time they cook this, and Bonnie called me out on it. She'd cook made broccoli and asparagus or whatever. And I was like, you, sauerkraut is another one. Sauerkraut, you might as well, you might as well be eating something out of a sewage tank. That's what, it's, that's what it smells like to me. I'm like, what, who can eat this stuff? And so this is the kind of presence that I have in my home when she makes broccoli. I'm like, you guys like this stuff? We have the same conversation. It's me, guys. I own this. We have the same conversation. You like broccoli? We've been married for 28 years. And I'm still having the same conversation. You, I can't believe, and my kids love it. They call them trees. They like, I love little trees. So they love broccoli. I'm like, you really like broccoli? Why, come on, Shannon, get off of it. Your record is skipping. It's, got, it's on repeat here. You got to get off of this. And, and what happened was I'm saying things that I, that, that, that I like but that they don't like, and I'm kind of shaming them for liking broccoli. And, but, but if they like broccoli, why not let the person like broccoli? Why can't they just like broccoli? Why can't, if you like sauerkraut, eat sauerkraut? Why can't it be a person that says, hey, just have the freedom to like what you like? Anybody, I like, I like chocolate gravy. I do. Someone, I was telling them, I'm from Tennessee, so it's a Tennessee thing. So we, we make homemade biscuits, and we put butter, we get a little slab of butter, put some butter on on both sides, mound up some butter, and we take this scoop of chocolate gravy that's been uh, warm and boiling on the, on the stove, and we pour, pour chocolate gravy over the biscuits, these warm, and you can see the steam coming up. Excuse me for a minute here. And I was explaining this to somebody. I said, I love chocolate gravy. Chocolate gravy? Chocolate, ew, that's disgusting. Chocolate gravy? You don't put chocolate gravy on biscuits. I said, Tennessee guys do. And I like chocolate gravy. So why not, if I like chocolate gravy, come on, let me like chocolate gravy. And whatever you like, get, let's give people the freedom Come on, to like whatever you like. Let's talk about what we like and let's agree that we can like different things and it's okay to like different things, right? The best groups to resolve problems are not the ones that are finding fault with every solution. I know we need critical thinking. Critical thinking is great, but what we more need is creative thinking. Critical thinking in its place is good, but most focus groups who get the job done do not sit around finding fault with every solution. They find creative ways to fix the problem. We need more creative thinking. Come on, focused on what needs to be accomplished. People that will contribute to the conversation and not take away from the conversation. Can I hear a big amen? So it was William L. Watkinson that said this. He said, but nuncetory rhetoric is so much easier and cheaper than good works. 
and proves a popular temptation. Yet it is far better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. He said this in a time where the world and the nation was talking about everything they were against. But he says, if you want to solve the problem, be a solution to the problem. Light a candle in the darkness. Don't sit around and talk about how dark it is. Come on, somebody light a candle. And here's what I'm saying to New Spring Church. Let's not sit around and point our finger at the darkness. Let's be the light that Jesus Christ wants us to be. Let's go find a solution and be the solution. That's where we're going to find the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to use the gifts that he's given us. Can you shout amen this morning? So here's what I'm telling you. I am for, I'm not going to tell you what I'm against, but I am for promoting. I'm, I am for celebrating. I am for love. I am for peace. I am for goodness. I am for gentleness, generosity, encouragement, restoration, life. That's what I'm for, and that's what I want to be. Can you shout amen? And lastly this morning, praise team's going to come, and we're going to take a, just a couple moments to spend some time in worship and ask the Holy Spirit, to come into this room. He's already here. But you're going, to, you're going to engage the Holy Spirit just a little bit further this morning. And lastly, choosing life means speaking at your highest level of faith. I, I encourage you, please, as you're reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, please notice how many principles that God is trying to urge us to speak at our highest level of faith. You'll find it. When you start putting on the lens of seeing how God is trying to encourage our faith, you'll notice that God is always challenging us. And here's what I feel this morning. I feel like this is a season where God wants to stretch you and stretch your faith. How many times did Jesus ask people to stretch their faith, do something that's going to stretch you, stretch you to believe? He does. It was the lame man who couldn't walk, and what did he tell him? Pick up your mat and walk. I would have said, duh, Jesus, come on. I can't pick up my mat. That's why I'm here. But the command, the command excited faith. It generated faith in him to say, oh, you mean I can do this? Yeah, Jesus has given you permission to do what you think you can't do. But it's going to require us to live and to speak at a higher level of faith. Feelings will war against your faith, and feelings are totally different than faith. Feelings are not equal to faith at all. Feelings are important. That's why your words are important, because your words can generate a certain feeling. That's why all things could be going wrong, and let everyone in the group around the water cooler talk about everything that's going wrong, but you put one man, one woman full of faith into that conversation that says, you know, but, but God, but God, but God, but God, and all of a sudden begin to talk about the goodness and the greatness of God and all the miracles he can do, it begins to change the environment. Why? Because the highest level of faith always changes the environment, not the lowest level of faith. It's like a truck, a truck driver who's driving a truck and allows the cargo to dictate where he's going instead of the steering wheel. Your cargo is all of the feelings but the feelings do not direct where we go. It's you. You have the power with the steering wheel to direct where the cargo needs to go. We don't allow our feelings to adjust our faith. Our faith adjusts our feelings. Our faith will dictate our feelings and environment. It was Paul who writes from a prison cell in Philippians chapter 4. He's not in the Bahamas. 
He's not in Cancun. I'd like to be back there right now. He's not in some remote island living up, sipping on a a lemonade with a little umbrella sticking out of his glass. He's not on this. He's in prison. And Paul writes this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he said, I'm going to say it one more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And he makes this faith statement, the Lord is near. Are you saying, Pat, are you saying God is near my, in my prison where I feel like I'm stuck? Yes. You just need to speak at your highest level of faith. God is here in the middle of this mess right now. God is here in the middle of this that seems like it's not going anywhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13, he says, it is written. Here's what Paul did, and this is what we do. It is written. He said, I believe, therefore I speak. And since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe, therefore we speak. Here's what Paul was saying. He said, I've had some great mentors in my life, and I watched them. They would tell me, Paul, I believe this, and that's why I'm speaking this. And he said, I'm following their example. What I believe, that's what I'm going to speak. I'm saying that you and I need to speak what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ, come on, is on the move, and he's calling us out into the deep. He's calling us to stretch forward. He's calling us to move forward with our faith. And you and I, all we need to do is speak at our highest level of faith. Do you believe? Like Abraham. Abraham said in Romans chapter 4 that his body was good as dead, but God said, I'm gonna, you're going to have a son, Abraham. But Abraham believed that even though his body was dead, that God had the power to raise his dead body back to life again. And he says, I'm, God has the power to call those things that can't seem like that they're not happening. But God says, but he says, God is able to call those things that are non-existence, non-existent into existence. Do you believe this morning that God is calling us to a higher level of faith? If you believe that, come on, let's stand this morning. Will you guys kick in this worship song? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to take what he's been saying to us today, right now, this moment. And if you're ready to move into a higher level of faith and allow God, allow God to lead you to see his glory, to see miracles, to see breakthroughs, I want you to just begin to lift your hands now and begin to worship the Lord. Hey, thank you for listening to today's message. We appreciate you tuning in. I hope you subscribe so you can join us back here next week. If you're interested in connecting with us at New Spring Church, text CONNECTNC to 94000. Hey, we're praying for you and we pray God's blessing upon you.